0: Hello and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Listen on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers of NT Travers on the Twitters. And
1: we've got an episode full of questions driven by you, our lovely people who listen to this podcast. Uh, and we're going to try to get to all of them. We are probably not going to succeed. Ben has a lot of things written down. And. Honestly, it's actually kind of hilarious cuz um Ben has been gathering all these questions. I have no idea what's on his notepad.
0: Yes, I've been I've been assigned, let's say, the role of curator for these questions, which makes me somewhat of a, a of a host this time around. We're almost switching roles a little bit here, Elizabeth, in which I will also be answering these questions, but I'll be asking the questions to you where usually you're kind of throwing shit my way. Uh, so this this could be, uh, could be an eventful podcast.
1: It could be, or it, it could be, it, it, this could be the one where everything changes. This it could,
0: could be a mess, too. It I mean, could, could also be it a could mess. could just be a disaster, because I'm not equipped for these kind of responsibilities.
1: And I have no respect for your authority whatsoever.
0: And I have very little respect for your opinion, so. <laughs> oh. Ho! Sick burn. Obviously not true. Love hearing what Liz has to say, so let's start it. Are you Good. ready, Elizabeth? I'm
1: ready. Bring me a question.
0: Our first question is one that we've actually been talking about within the office all week. And I got this from multiple sources, but the first person to respond uh, was Tristan. Uh, that's at TrizNasty, T-R-I-Z, nasty, on Twitter.
1: This sounds like a person who listens to a lot of Florida Georgia Line.
0: Actually, that is only true by circumstance. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the question is basically, what are your Westworld... Predictions, both in terms of uh, where you see the show going, plot-wise, uh, surprises, twists, etc., uh, and also it's like your fan theories, if you will, and also just quality. You know, are we expecting this to hold up? We haven't really seen anything since we first talked about it, so we're going to be on the same playing field by the time this airs. So it seems like a pretty good time to at least throw out a few predictions, maybe. I got a prediction. Let's hear it. Liz. I got a
1: prediction that goes beyond prediction. I think it's a pretty solid fact. I think. Oh boy. This is and I say this as someone who I am I am embedded with this show. I've uh, I'm writing our weekly reviews, so that's a thousand words every week about Westworld and it's what, what it's planning. I've been doing the research, digging into all the stuff that they've been referencing on the sites. And
0: this is a very personal topic of interest for Liz in terms of robot sex.
1: Yes, I'm very interested in this topic and I find it fascinating. I even got to interview the creators of the show and I got to dig in with them about the ethical issues and whatnot. So I've developed put a lot of time and energy into thinking about Westworld and coming up with very well, well-researched, well well-founded theories that I feel like I, you could definitely trust in. So let's, my let's number one theory is that they're going to be dinosaurs in the season finale. <laughs> <laughs> dinosaurs. You heard it here first. There are going to be dinosaurs in the season finale.
0: As someone who-
1: I'm thinking like a T-Rex, maybe a brontosaurus.
0: As someone who wrote the season review with an initial headline that was pegged to Jurassic Park because of how obvious the connections are between this story and and Jurassic Park story. Do you really think they would make such a blunt connection to a property that people are already probably comparing it to?
1: The people want what they want then. They want dinosaurs.
0: Do you think HBO has the budget to make dinosaur special effects as impressive as what they're seeing in Jurassic Park?
1: They have, if they can make dragons on uh, Game of Thrones, they can make dinosaurs in Westworld.
0: The dragons aren't as good as the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park.
1: They're not, but I'm just saying we can have dinosaurs, and we should have dinosaurs, and we will have dinosaurs. Just taking my entire professional reputation on this. You want to make dinosaurs. a sandwich bet? No. Yes. Damn.
0: <laughs> I would have had a sandwich for sure. There's no way there's going to be dinosaurs.
1: Maybe not uh, in season one.
0: No, I don't think there will ever be dinosaurs.
1: How great would it be if there were dinosaurs? I think
0: the only way there's dinosaurs is if... The show just tanks rating-wise. Like people, they get desperate and they've got to throw well, something.
1: Well, now we have an incentive to kind of like try to skew the skew the results so we can get dinosaurs.
0: Basically, Liz is advocating <laughs> that Westworld gets so bad, and she she must believe that it will get so bad that they will be desperate enough to do a ratings grab in which they get dinosaurs, much like when a monkey shows up on you know a sitcom on broadcast TV. Oh, Marcel. Um, I don't think that'll happen. I think Mark. I think Westworld's going to be very good throughout the first season. Um, I have fairly high hopes for this one, as it's been well worth digging into over the first four weeks, and uh, very eager to see episode five.
1: Yeah, I think the the big thing with with West ah, the big thing with Westworld right now is, you know, with episode four, we're almost we're we're four tenths of the way through uh, the season, and I, I believe that's correct, right? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, And I think the biggest the biggest issues that you're going to see arise. I think we're looking, keeping your eye on what's going on with the Delos Corporation. Like whatever's happening, the antics happening in the park are interesting. Whatever's happening with it outside of the park, with the you know evil with the over with the the board of directors and all these all these corporate elements, they may seem boring, but there's clearly a lot more going on there. And I think that's where it's really going to be. And also keep your eye on Dr. Ford. I think. Because I think Dr. Ford, you know, I think that's...
0: Anthony Hopkins.
1: Yeah, Anthony Hopkins. Like, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, you want to like him. And he's also kind of playing a role very similar, if we're going to keep with the Jurassic uh, Park comparisons. He reminds me a lot of Sir Richard Attenborough in the original film, who was a lovable character, who's a genuinely well-meaning person. Um, He reminds me of him at the beginning. I feel like it'd be... It's not hard to imagine a scenario where Dr. Ford goes off the deep end by the end of season one.
0: And see, I'd argue that Dr. Ford may go over the deep end in terms of switching <coughs> from or, a somewhat benevolent overlord I, I, to a manipulative evil genius.
1: Yeah, I feel like I want to sw- I switch that to, from opposed from, to go off the deep end, go from white hat to black hat.
0: Yeah, that's, much, that's where I'm leaning to, especially with, I believe it's in episode four uh spoiler warning for anybody who hasn't caught up to episode four it's when he has the meeting uh at his predetermined predetermined location and unveils kind of a a bigger plan let's Mm say um he's got his own stuff going on and he's working outside of the system and whether or not that's going to be for the good or for the bad i'm very interested to find out but yeah I'd, i'd believe that he could go black hat pretty easily
1: Yeah, so Um, hopefully that's a good answer to the question. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of fan theories out there. Liz and I have discussed this before. We're not a huge proponent of fan theories in terms of he's a robot, he's not a robot, this is happening, this isn't happening, because to me it doesn't lend a lot of discussion to what the show is really about, which is bigger moral questions, and uh, that's what you should be engaging with. If you want to think about that yourself and, and hold on to that, that's good, but I don't think it's good to get obsessed with that kind of thing instead of engaging with the show as it's meant to be engaged with. Yeah,
1: I I would never tell anyone how to engage with a show and how to enjoy it, but Ben will. Ben will tell you.
0: I will tell you how to do it. I'm not going to judge you too harshly for doing it. I just don't want to put all that stuff out there, especially on a podcast when, you know, you're listening to us. You didn't tune in necessarily just to hear us talk about Westworld. Now it's stuck in your brain, and that's all you're going to think about when episode five, six, seven. Airs, so you're
1: going to yeah. When you, when you see that first dinosaur footprint on the ground, you're really like, oh, damn it, Liz was right. When the
0: ground starts to shake, and then you know five episodes later, we come um. back and unveil a T-Rex. Boom, Liz was right. Yep. Uh, well, let's stick with predictions a little bit. Okay. We've got another prediction, Liz. I think you'll enjoy this one. Um, there's been a lot of reboots. Right. Specifically, 90s reboots. Right. Uh, if not reboots, then continuations. What is the next one? What show is gonna be picked up and and revived either by Netflix or whatever else is out there uh, in terms of, of popular 90s shows? I thought about this beforehand. I honestly think there's gonna be a continuation of Frasier Crane. Really? Um, I feel I feel like poor old poor old Frasier. Frager. Frager. Uh, hasn't had a lot of success of late with the other shows that he's tried to spin off on his own. Um, he may dip back into the well if Netflix is willing to pay him the money. And also, Netflix is always kind of courting an older audience, trying to expand that subscription base of theirs. you know, like they need to pay, appeal to as many different demographics as possible. Older audiences are kind of hard to tap into, especially with this or harder to tap into with, with the, the service itself. Um, Frazier would be a pretty big get.
1: That's interesting. Uh, Fraser's not a bad idea, if only like just thinking like on a practical level. Like you know, Kelsey Grammer, if you don't follow the tabloids, has had some uh, marital issues that have led to him not maybe being as hugely financially wealthy. Oh, as, I didn't. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's basically. I mean, I don't know the particulars. I just know. I just know enough to know that he's had enough. He's been divorced at least one time in a fashion that's kind of like led him to do things like that FX series uh, Partners with Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, like financially, he's maybe not as you know comfortable as someone who with a you know as twenty years of syndicated television was, under yeah, his belt. He was
0: making Frasier. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the rest of that cast seems to be fairly readily available. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, except for John Mahoney, which is well, sad. Yeah. Of course, um, yeah. but, you know, but the he,
0: next iteration of Fraser, since he's been a character carried over multiple series, could be just about anything. So they don't even have want, to you be independent. You want young
1: Fraser? You want like Fraser Jr.?
0: Like him with his kid? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm this, not pro- a proponent of this. I just think it might be an easy pitch.
1: That's, that reminds me of this terrible idea I had for a uh, for a, a Friends reboot called Bros. Oh
0: God, no! That sounds terrible. Why? What? <laughs> It's just, it's
1: just like they're all the kids are now like twenty years old, so they're in college. Oh,
0: God, that'd be awful.
1: God, it's a really good question. Um, though the general reboot question, and I continue to be surprised by what they decide to reboot. um Tried
0: and failed with Coach.
1: Tried and failed with uh, tried and failed like pretty spectacularly. um I'm Trying to think of like ones from my childhood I really loved, and
0: I feel like this one has come up a lot, and I haven't tracked it to see like if it's a feasible thing and, and getting the whole cast together might be difficult, but maybe in a wet hot American Summer type mini revival, could freaks and geeks happen? Is that something that people might make I could
1: see I could see like a reunion like movie type deal happening. Yeah. That could happen.
0: Yeah. Or some sort of other continuation with the new cast characters, some of the old ones popping back in from the future. I don't know. Like
1: Degrassi. Yeah. Whatever like. It like takes. Degrassi,
0: yeah, exactly <laughs> like that.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I feel like I feel like I mean the the thing is is gosh like I mean like Seinfeld's never going uh, to happen to beyond the extent to which it already has. Buffy? Um Buffy is probably going to happen, but I feel like it's going to take it's going to be like, you know, with Joss Whedon with I feel like Buffy is like another 10 years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um Oh, sh- one here's here's, a, here's a, just a random left field idea that probably would never happen, but I'd be interested in seeing what would happen with it. Is do you remember the show Sliders? No. With Jerry O'Connell. God. Sabrina no. Lloyd. No.
0: John I, Rhys Davies. I hate where this is going already. <laughs> It was no a,
1: it was kind of a it was a, like a wacky sci-fi uh, wacky sci-fi show that aired on Fox uh, so of course I watched it yep um and I thought that was it, it, it had an interesting premise and people like the parallel universes thing it could work
0: is it a is it enough of a brand or they'd actually want to bring it back for no, that.
1: but that could almost work in its favor. I feel like sometimes you, you're better off remaking something that maybe wasn't perfect in its initial run.
0: Well, they can remake it, but that's a little bit different than a revival. Of,
1: ah, of you what, said? Are you saying bring fans. everyone back? Okay. Well,
0: I mean, in, in terms of, you know, the exam I think the example provided by this uh, person wonderfully asking the question was, you know, Gilmore Girls, Fuller House, right? Uh, that kind of thing. Well,
1: if, if Buffy is on that list, then Buffy happens sooner than that. Like, I feel like if if you're going to revive, if we're reviving Buffy, like, you want to do that relatively soon. If you want to reboot Buffy, that's another 10 years.
0: All right. Well, sticking with the predictions thing, uh, we've got one more prediction to make, Liz. Okay. And this one is one near and dear to our hearts. Right. Are you ready? Go. Uh, From wonderful listener at KT Travers. Sure. No relation. No relation. Uh, KT, literally the letters are there. Um, What is going to be the deal? In season three of *The Leftovers*, with the apocalypse baby.
1: Apocalypse baby.
0: So specifically, she's referring to, and this—I got clarification on this. She's referring to Nora's adopted child, so the baby ah. of uh, Holy Wayne, who Lily. is Lily. Lily, yes, who's uh, who's in there. But we also kind of touched upon the idea that babies play a very big role. In the series in general. So, like, if you remember the premiere, the pilot of The Leftovers opened with a baby disappearing from the back of a car on sure. October 14th. Season two opened with a cavewoman having a baby. Yeah. And that could also be a factor. Later oh. later. So season three, which is getting ready to come out, can't wait, obviously. Um, the baby <laughs> Only six theme, months. baby theme could continue, and it could bring back in Apocalypse Baby. So any theories as to how the Apocalypse Baby could play into The Leftovers season three?
1: Oh, huh. that's a really deep question, and it makes a very people,
0: specific question. It's tricky. I mean, because
1: um, like on a objective level, like I'm trying to think about like on on term in terms of symbolism, like babies represent new life, and they represent you know you know purity. Innocence as well, yeah, innocence, yeah. And I mean if you kind of look at the events of the leftovers as some sort of post apocalyptic like smiting type, you know, judgment upon high for humanity's sins type deal.
0: If that's what it is.
1: If that's what it is. Not that we not that anyone's ever gonna know for sure what the mystery be. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I feel like maybe like if the baby like if a baby was the last one vanished but then all the people came back. Like mm. I don't know, like that. I'm I'm just spitballing here. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm. I think a big factor in that too is the fact that the child will still be very very young when season three starts. We know there's not too big of a time jump. They're not going to move forward. We do. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Uh, they're not going to jump forward like ten years or fifteen years or something. I mean, eventually they could. So eventually this you know who they could do whatever they happen. could like yeah, episode seven. Yeah, it could just be wild and crazy. But uh, in terms of starting off, how the apocalypse baby is going to factor in. I feel like it's played a majority of its role already because of how it unified that family and created a new family and then worked to sustain a family. Um, I, I don't think the storyline necessarily is over for the baby, but I, I've i given up on making too many predictions with The Leftovers. I try to do it every week for like the immediate future when I'm doing the episode reviews, but that is one of the hardest parts of my job, to be honest with you. So I don't know how it's going to play in. I can't wait to see what they do with it. I do expect... A baby to be in the opening of season three. I will say that I expect to see a baby within the first fifteen minutes. Of I, feel the like, premiere.
1: I feel like I feel like that's a solid prediction. Yeah. But will it be the apocalypse baby?
0: Uh, no, I think it'll be well. Yeah, actually, let's say it is the apocalypse baby, just for a change of pace, a little bit. Okay. We haven't seen the apocalypse baby in the premieres yet. I so let's do. I can't believe you keep calling it. it
1: the apocalypse baby. I just don't because because it was it was supposed to be a male and it was a baby girl. So it doesn't count as a apocalypse, baby.
0: I don't. I'm not sure what you're referring to.
1: Well, the baby of Holy Wayne that was supposed to be like the chosen one.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying.
1: That he was the the, the prediction was that he would be male, and of course it turned out to be a girl, and that's like part yeah. of why she gave her the the, the the original mother gave her up.
0: Well, yeah, no, I agree, but I mean, women are going to inherit the earth, Liz, and The Leftovers is a very feminist, progressive series in which women dominate, so. Apocalypse Baby could very much be a woman and Holy Wayne is just a little bit silly. Okay. That being said, we're going to rapid fire round now, Liz. Are you ready? Got some questions right off the top of our heads here. Okay. The first two I will answer very quickly because they're literally just uh, they're they're dates like when something's going to happen. Right. Uh, We were asked when the Leftovers Season 3 air date is going to be. Based on what we were told at the TCA's April 2017. That's not a date that was given out. They said it was basically going to take, they they assumed it was going to take the Game of Thrones time slot, so we're assuming that because Game of Thrones is being delayed until the summer, leftovers will start about the same time, which is April, typically, for that round of shows. Um, Next up, they want to know when the Americans' end date was. The Americans is ending. It's got two seasons left, so the last episode will air presumably sometime in two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. Probably June if they stick with the. Well, it'll be a little. later. It'll be May because the last season. They weren't talking the at all about
1: splitting it, right?
0: Splitting the last season up? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, the, the episode counts less, I believe. I think it's a ten episode final season. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's the Americans. Liz. Go. First question. Okay. What is going on with the Boy Meets World cast these days?
1: Well, some of them are on Girl Meets World, and the rest I don't know about because I am not necessarily a huge Writer Strong fan.
0: Good answer. Liz, you can only have one streaming service right now. All the others are out. Which one do you pick? Netflix. I'm going to go Hulu, if only because it's broadcast right now and because, honestly, their originals have been great.
1: On a practical level, I totally hear you on Hulu. Netflix-wise, like, it has if, – if, like, forever and ever that was the only one I had, that's the one that has all of my absolute re-watching favorites in it.
0: Will there ever be a Friends reunion movie? I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm going to go with Marta Kaufman. I agree as well. Marta Kaufman says no, so no. Yeah. Uh, Dream Emmy's hosts – or host or hosts?
1: Um, uh, Allison Bree.
0: Alison Brie, interesting answer.
1: Oh, no, wait. So no, no, Alison Brie and or Al- Abigail Spencer.
0: Oh, Abigail Spencer would be done. That's
1: actually, I think I, I was wanted to say Abigail Spencer. Abigail Spencer and Rami Malek were so cute together yeah. uh, during when they presented.
0: I feel like Rami Malek would probably turn into a James Franco type host. Oh, yeah. Just in terms of eventually being a little lost up there. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem like his exact cup of tea, but I like where your head's at. And Spencer would be incredible.
1: I, I, I would just enjoy finding out if there is something Spencer can't do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I love. I fell in love with the rumor back at the last Emmys when mm-hmm. it, that Julia Louis-Dreyfus got asked. I'd uh, love to see JLD do it. She probably did. Yeah, it seems like she did. Um, I'd she, love to see that They her to do everything. They should. Everyone should. Um, I also thought that perhaps an interesting pairing would be uh, just let the catastrophe people go up there, Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan. They're I, pretty charismatic. They're pretty funny. Delaney's very funny. I they actually, could, I actually,
1: I can tell you from personal experience that Rob Delaney is a solid
0: host. Oh, good, great. Wait, yeah. where did you see him host?
1: Um, I, I feel like he talked to me about in this my, in a past life. Uh, I used to work on a show called oh, Attack right. of the Show, yep. and he guest hosted a few episodes. Yep, so, so I, I, I can, I have seen him host, and he did fine.
0: Um, two more questions in the rapid fire round. How did cat dog go to the bathroom?
1: See, this is a generational thing. Cat Dog is just slightly beyond my scope. What was cat? The Cat Dog was a Nickelodeon show, right? Yeah. Um,
0: it's like one end of it. Yes, yeah, cat, a cat. One one was, it was, the was dog.
1: a dog. I, I definitely can fi- picture it visually. They definitely
0: ate. I didn't. I don't know what happened to it though.
1: Um, I mean, I think we're looking at a human centipede situation here, technically. Oh
0: god, that's terrifying.
1: I know. I'm. I'm sorry.
0: Oh man, you just ruined Cat Dog for so many people.
1: I feel like if if anyone's asking their question about cat dogs, they're already on the way to that realization.
0: All right, last rapid fire question: Why is IndieWire covering the election?
1: Because, because you dummies won't pay attention to the stuff we're writing about stuff so that's not <laughs> about the election.
0: Oh, man, Liz blaming the readership. I blame you guys as well. All right, we're moving on to. Um, I love you guys. Non rapid fire rounds.
1: Okay. I like I like that there's like that there's a mix here. Like you're giving me giving me the big questions and then some rapid fires and then some big questions. Uh,
0: yeah, okay. So this is a good one. Um, what do we this comes from uh, our good friend John. What do we make of Halt and Catch Fire's season 4 final season renewal? How do we think that happened? How do we explain it? Why did it happen?
1: I think Halt and Catch Fire has always been a show that AMC wishes did better than it does and is a show it's a show that like they like and respect enough to give like a proper send off. I think that's always what comes with the final season send off is you know, we're going to let you do it right. That's how much we like the show. That's how much we believe in the show is kind of like a li- as library content. That's the big thing for me is like you know, networks are no longer thinking about a show as just like something that airs once and then you is Disposable like this is Halt and Catch Fire is going to be something they're going to be able to package and sell and distribute across internationally, and for you know in perpetuity for decades they'll be able to sell be able to say, hey check out this show that we made this one time and they'll it'll be keep finding new audiences and making sure that the story ends right and isn't an abrupt weird ending uh and isn't you know that's a huge priority for them I think these days
0: now what's interesting to me about this decision is is the fact that they've pretty much known this is a ratings dud since season two. They they put out a big push in season one, season two. Uh, a lot of critics said it got better and improved. I I think it did as well. But I mean it, not from you know like a apples to oranges comparison, horrible to great, just kind of from pretty good to better. Um, but they've known that it's not really going to pick up. For a while, they could have done this with season three. They could have said, told them ahead of time, "Listen, season three's it. Like you should write an ending here." And uh, they may have been prepared to do that already. And instead, they've given it yet another year. They're giving it season four. So I agree. I think I think it's definitely something to do with the fact that AMC's like the show a little bit more. Um, they've they've they're they're thriving with that critical adulation and, and pushing that. Maybe they think it can squeeze out some some Emmy wins and gain a little bit more. Notability and as the final season approaches, maybe they think they can get people to catch up. Uh, Netflix is obviously hosting the first three right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's definitely something they can package later. But I'm a little, I was honestly a little surprised to see it get a full season pickup for four.
1: And that's and that a full season is definitely notable. Like it could have gone to six or something. Could have just even gone to movie. Who knows? Um, But I think. I think also what's one of the benefits that Halt and Catch Fire has always had is the fact that it fills a niche within AMC's programming lineup that a lot of AMC's other shows don't. Yeah. Like if, if Mad Men was still, if, if it was in direct competition with Mad Men right now, I don't think it'd still be on the air. No.
0: But it, by, think... by
1: kind of succeeding Mad Men, like it's been benefited greatly from that.
0: And that's another good point, just in the sense that I'm not sure AMC has anything Better in the pipeline right now, like yeah. anything that they're so excited about, so reliant upon that they can just bump halt, and catch fire off the schedule, especially with some of their freshman stuff like uh, Schwimmer's show, uh, Feed the Beast. Feed the Beast, well, already I, canceled.
1: I mean, Feed the Beast uh, got canceled, and then there are two other really big uh, plays uh, in the scripted market were over the last year were Into the Badlands and Preacher. And both of those are really interesting shows, and I think I really like the fact that they're kind of stepping outside like their comfort zone and yeah. creating some kind of weird, frankly, just weird television.
0: And those fit along with kind of the Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead mold that they're establishing ratings-wise, like just that kind of branding, almost a comic book-like branding, which is obviously what Preacher comes from and Into the Badlands certainly looks like. Then, it,
1: it definitely fits into that mold.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, Liz. Question for you. Go. This is about a la carte television. Oh, OK. Do we think it's a viable option right now? What are the best benefits of going for it? And what are the biggest detriments?
1: Well, this, I think, really depends on what kind of TV consumer you are. Exactly. Like, you know, if you're someone who doesn't really watch TV, like, you just literally, I, I was talking to someone earlier this week, and she was just saying, like, you know, she's just busy. She just has a lot to do. She cares about music. Uh, she, she likes music, she likes stuff, but she, you know, works a lot and she gets social a lot. And so, um, so yeah, I think uh, she, like, if you're not ca- actively watching TV, I feel like, you know, honestly, you know, one or two sc- uh, streaming services is probably all you need versus, like, a full-on cable subscription.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I've actually been crunching the numbers on my end a lot because I've essentially gone the a la carte route i don't have a cable subscription or a satellite subscription and you know obviously we've got access to a lot of screeners that allow us some leeway in this regard but i'm still spending about i'm spending about 48 dollars a month on streaming services so hulu netflix amazon and hbo right now are all stuff that i'm paying for because i feel like i need it that's right on the border that's for me, right on the border of of where it's like a little bit cheaper than what I'd do if I bundled with you know internet for cable packages, etc. What do you?
1: I actually can. Can I, may I? While we're talking about this, may I ask what you pay for internet?
0: I'm paying. What am I paying? I think I'm paying forty a month for internet. Okay. Um, and that's I could be paying less. I could be paying thirty, but I um, want the speed, Liz. Want that speed? Well, if
1: you're if everything you're watching is through a streaming right. service, then it makes sense to upgrade that slight amount.
0: Right. So. I think that's okay, but here's where it's sticking me right now. So for the last month or two, I think just one month of paying for it, uh, I've been a subscriber for Sling TV because I wanted to try it out, and then I became reliant upon it because of live television. Right. Because I'm watching all of these sporting events right now, and I need I need Sling TV to be able to see those live within my own home, rather than you know going to a bar every weekend, every day when the baseball season's you know still going on. Um, that's bumping up the the monthly cost of 73 so basically for me right now it seems like if you need live TV if you need sports if you need to watch stuff as it happens I still think you probably need a cable subscription that's probably your cheapest route for doing it and just you know using your DVR and cutting off a couple of those um, streaming services you know just saving a little money on that end if you don't need to watch it right away if you don't need to do it night of or you're not a sports fan i think a la carte is is already a viable option for tv people
1: yeah i mean i think also like we're looking at a situation where soon cable, soon your cable subscription will be soon the con you know we're talking about skinny bundles where it's like you can pick like 20 channels versus like 200. And that's something that's that's something that a lot of companies are floating. It's probably going to become like a real thing in the next six months or so. Yeah. And that'll change the game to some degree. I I personally have the full Kahuna, the big kahuna, you know, s- streaming package, uh, no cable subscription package, with HBO, nothing else. Um, and then also all the streaming services because I'm, you know, I've got a problem, guys. But uh, <laughs> but more importantly, <laughs> Man, I think we need it. I mean the thing is I, and this has just been my philosophy always as someone who covers pop culture and television, which I've been doing for the last ten years or so is i professionally, I feel very insecure if I ha- don't have at least one way of watching something, and every now I know I'm covered on all the bases, like no matter what I'll be able to watch, the things I want to watch
0: yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a that's both a professional hazard, let's say for us, and also something that you know your maybe above-average TV viewer needs. They just feel like that's something that they must have, and, and we're not quite there yet to get away from it if you want to go a la carte, but there's still that option creeping up. Uh, that question came from at Brandon Ulrich2, the number two. Hi, Brandon. Uh, big fan of the show, always always tweeting at us. Uh, the next one comes from another big fan of the show, Tuts for, at Tuts47, U T S T What is your favorite slash most addicted to guilty pleasure T V show. And this is both I would say she didn't really specify, I'd say current and all time. Um, I believe I've discussed this on the on the program before. California is a big one for me in terms of all like, time. Like Show We Acknowledge
1: pleasure. is not actually a good television show. Yeah we show.
0: have to say it's not a great show, but we watched all of it anyway or we keep watching it. Um, I'd probably say that new girl is a big one for me right now mm-hmm. just because
1: your hatred you, you when you get mad at new girl is it's not hatred but when you get mad at new girl you get so mad
0: it provides a lot of mixed emotions for me it, it takes me to the high and to the low and and i've identified why and delved into why in the past on multiple occasions um but i do i continuously return to it it's one that's repeatedly in my in my queue like just ready to go sometimes i need that dose of schmidt just to have in the background or, or pick me up or whatever, but that's definitely an option. And then for new stuff, This Is Us has started to become that for me. Um, <laughs> it's not a good show, you guys. It's a very bad show. Well, it's not a very bad show. It's, I feel like it's, feel an like it's fine.
1: Show. I'm enjoying it. Yeah,
0: it's it is. It's very much a mediocre television show. But they are mediocre,
1: very mediocre. Gosh. They're
0: what? how is that that bad? It's it is. There's. There's no way you'd be comparing, you know, This Is Mediocre. Us to the,
1: Mediocre sounds like a C
0: to me, whereas I'd put... I gave it a C. C minus? C or C minus for the premiere.
1: Yeah, I'd put it more at like a B minus at this point.
0: Yeah, maybe. It's it's C plus, maybe. Eh, okay. But no, it's... it's. They're very good at manipulating your emotions. The, <laughs> the twists of the show have been... Twist is us. ...fully engaging. And, and God, they're getting you every time. Like... It's a crutch that they've been leaning on for sure, and they're starting to get away from it. But for me, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be watching for a little bit longer. Uh, so anyway, Liz, guilty pleasure shows, go.
1: Um, all time, I will say that no show I spend, a, especially like in the middle seasons, I spend a lot of time yelling at Sex and the City when I watch it.
0: No guilt there, Liz. No guilt.
1: No, there's 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 some puns that truly drive me insane. <laughs> no,
0: they're great though.
1: I know, this is where we differ on the pun question. Um, so, I would say that Sex and the City definitely is on, in that kind of category for me, where I feel like there's stuff that the show did really well, and stuff that drove me crazy. Um, and so that that falls in that category. At current shows, I feel like it's pretty obvious. The Legends of Tomorrow is yeah. on there on pretty that
0: list. list. Have you watched the premiere?
1: I have. How was it? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, we'll take that with a grain <laughs> of salt. We found a
1: way to add another white man to the cast.
0: That's, that's exactly what TV needs. Um, and kind of in regards to this, uh, we've been asked basically about overlooked TV shows. Just okay. In the this this comes from Crazy Matt eighty seven uh, at Crazy Matt eighty seven. Um, just in terms of stuff, maybe we haven't talked about on the podcast, stuff that you know has, has been popping up throughout this very busy fall. Uh, is there anything that we want to pay special attention to? Uh, Crazy Matt wanted to know our thoughts on Insecure, as did a f- couple of other people just in general, like how we're feeling about Insecure, mm-hmm. as well as Berlin Station and where we're at right now in terms of Atlanta. Um, I will say that Atlanta for me is is still one of the best shows on TV. I am t- two episodes at least, behind, two or three episodes behind, so I can't speak to it um, currently, but it is for me, an overlooked show, just in the sense that I haven't gotten back to it because I haven't had time, but it is at the top of the list,
1: and it's doing to do some that. really intriguing stuff. Yeah, too. I
0: should be watching it every week, but I've just you know missed a couple, so then that put me back, and I'm slowly catching my way back up. Um, Berlin Station, I reviewed, didn't think it was anything special. Insecure, I feel like it's finding its voice, and it's fun to watch it find its voice. Um, if it does, like if it really embraces. Um, kind of a more courageous mentality which sounds a little bit counterintuitive Haturizing. for a show about in it's literally titled insecure but it hasn't quite hit that yet there's a lot of speed bumps uh, along the way and um you know it's a first time showrunner first time or I should say first time creator uh partnered with uh Larry Wilmore but uh it's it's still a very fun show to watch very smart very funny so uh, i encourage everybody to check it out it's not going to be a rave for me it's not going to be one where i'm belting down your door trying to get you to watch it but it's it's definitely worth it if you're at all curious
1: yeah i mean i i, I still need to watch more insecure but the, the what i've seen is still is still really intriguing to me and i kind of love i love that it feels like nothing like not it feels like it very much its own show as opposed to something similar to what i've seen before
0: and see that's where I hit a snag with it like I've read that commentary before to me I really felt like I was watching a modern sex in the city in terms of this is very much about her dating life in Los Angeles instead of their dating life in New York. There but totally, was, I didn't get that. Oh at no, all. there was voiceover at the beginning that kept knocking down that door. That um, didn't. There was a lot of those kind of. This is just an awkward first date, and this is kind of the way that dates but are. The happening sex, right the now. sex
1: in the sex in the is so presentational. Like with 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 insecure, I feel like it's much more interior
0: mm. to her. I I, mean, I disagree because especially because you have her friend, and her friend plays such a prominent role as an antithesis to. Like, these are at least two different ways that people see the dating world. They both come at it from different angles. They both want different things out of it. And you still get those kind of episodic arcs that are specific to what's going on right now, which is, which is great. Like, I like – I'm not saying this necessarily as a negative, but I also feel like it is a strong influencer, uh, okay. whether we want to recognize it or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were the other shows? It, not, it, I mean, it, does my opinion matter on the other shows?
0: Uh, I didn't think you watched Berlin Station, and we already talked about Atlanta, but that's all we're at right now.
1: Um, no, I mean, Berlin Station I've watched a little bit of. It It seemed like, it seemed fine, but I also wasn't paying terribly large amounts of attention. I confess. I was mostly just watching it to see if I actually cared enough to interview Michelle Forbes, and I did. And I okay. interviewed Michelle Forbes, and it was great. Michelle Forbes is wonderful.
0: There you go. Yeah. Hot take.
1: Yeah. Michelle Forbes, A-OK. okay
0: All right, well, next question. Uh, This one is right up Liz's alley. Comes from, oh, who asked this question? I think this is another one from John. Um, What is your favorite thing about the CW, Liz?
1: What isn't my favorite thing about the CW? Um, I think my favorite thing about the CW, quite honestly, is they've really landed on kind of a house style and tone that, that, that ends up being across the board, and t- to varying different degrees, they managed to capture both what is really compelling and exciting about television, and also what's really powerful about television, and they managed to basically make television that kind of hits that fine line between television that feels good for you and television that's just really fun to watch. Uh,
0: my favorite thing is crazy ex-girlfriend.
1: <coughs> that is also a good answer. And
0: End of list. There's other there's other things about, that are good. But
1: do you but, not like Jane the Virgin? It's good. Yeah,
0: I'm not over the moon, but it's very good. Okay, it's worth watching if you if you. It's into very it.
1: it's it's got so much charm to it.
0: Yeah, it's a very charming show.
1: I mean, and it, like the, I feel like you're probably not up to date. No no no. Yeah, if it, the more the deeper it's gotten, like the more it's really kind of found new ways to explore things. Yeah,
0: I don't I, the CW is a brand that I have nothing against, and I'm very excited about what it's doing in terms of getting young people specifically excited about TV and you know, watching TV live and, and kind of keeping the broadcast standards up a little bit. Um, their superhero shows are, are actually pretty watchable, pretty good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it hasn't stimulated my snobby, creative, critical thinking mind, except for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So,
1: Ben Travers says, DC's Legends of Tomo- Tomorrow is very watchable. Hmm.
0: Let's skip that one. (laughs) I'll stick with the flash and arrow. But Liz, we've got another question that I feel is right up your alley. Okay. Are you ready for it? Good. I don't think you're ready. Okay. Are there any actors from 1996 that we want to see back on TV? Hmm. So very popular, maybe broadcast shows, whatever. Very popular people, specifically from 1996. Huh. That we want back. And obviously, there's plenty that are back. David Duchovny. Yeah. Gillian Anderson. They're already doing work. We want them to do more. Yes. Don't get us wrong. It would be great if they were just on TV 24-7, 365. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Liz, while you think about it, I'm going to throw out George Clooney. Yeah. Love to see him come back and do like a nice prestige HBO.
1: I'd love to see him do a comedy.
0: I'd love to see Clooney in a comedy. A
1: limited series comedy. I feel like I I I, I I don't want like, to like I don't want to do that after reading adaptation. I don't, want, I don't want true detective season three of George Clooney. I want uh-huh. I want something fun. I would that, definitely I mean, watch that. I mean you would watch that, but I want I want something fun with Clooney.
0: Angry Clooney is Angry Clooney is a sight to behold.
1: It is true. I'm just saying I want a comedy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well comedies would be great. All right, so um, I'd also go with uh, Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life. But of course we're you would. we're getting that, so
1: Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I'm very good at just driving things into the ground. Uh, you know who I miss is Jerry O'Connell.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> you, would, you would miss the star of Tomcats.
1: I was more thinking of sliders. <laughs> I
0: know. I know what you're thinking of.
1: Um, But that was a good one. Uh, oh, gosh. I mean, it's hard to remember. Um, I really like... I. It's hard to remember, like, what was actually on in 1996, like what we act, what we were act what what we Those were X-Files watching in 1986 that we weren't watching we aren't watching now
0: X-Files X-Files Chicago Hope uh, probably Law and Order
1: Well NYPD Blue was probably running oh, at yeah. that time Oh yeah NYPD Blue for sure And uh so Jim I mean Jimmy Smits is doing more TV these days he did uh, he was in the Get Down uh he's he doing just something else on too for something too yeah Yeah shoot he just just recently Oh he's
0: playing uh he's he's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
1: That's right. He's
0: the father of, um, oh,
1: what's her name? Uh, Amy? Amy, yes.
0: Amy's character's dad. Yeah, dad. I was trying
1: to remember her last name in blanking.
0: Yeah, I can't either. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a good pick. Smith's is a good pick. Yeah. Um, to kind of go along with that, not really. What, um, what auteurs, what filmmakers perhaps, or just – strong voices, creative strong voices, do we want to see make a Netflix series? Do we want to see have their own total creative freedom for a new TV show?
1: Well, you know, if you could pair Aronofsky with someone who's a really strong writer, like, I feel like Aronofsky's kind of gone, he's been trying to do TV, like he did, uh, he, he like they officially just announced that that Mad Adams show, based on the Margaret Atwood books, is not happening. Um, but, I feel like Aronofsky could be really interesting in that respect. I mean, he's doing film. He'll, he's fine. Um, let's see. Other auteurs. Um,
0: I want to see Richard Curtis make a new TV show. That'd and be cute. That's mainly because Richard Curtis, to steal a line from uh, uh, one of my friends, deserves uh, a Nobel Peace Prize for kind of just bringing joy and happiness into this world. Um hmm. Absolutely true. So if he could do that on a weekly basis, if he could spread that joy as effectively as he's done in the classics, Love Actually and About Time, if he could figure that out for TV, my God, that would be a gift to the world.
1: That's good. I like that. I mean, Richard Curtis did do TV, you know.
0: Yeah, back in the day, but not as not like his own really strong thing. Huh. And not since he's kind of found his voice later on in life.
1: Gosh, yeah, it's a good, it's a fun question. I feel like the, th- the honest problem with that question is that I feel like we're getting we've gotten the answer a hundred times over. Like there aren't no. a ton of auteurs I can think of off the top of my head who no, haven't.
0: I mean, Basil Erman check. Yep. Woody Allen, sadly, check. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of people who've who've crossed the line already, and it's been you know mixed results, but a lot of fascinating TV. Definitely. Uh, Liz. What is the newest, most novel factors that networks look at to determine renewal?
1: I mean, most novel factors. So yeah,
0: like what are uh, what are people? What are the what are the bigwigs looking at when they're like, you know what, this one's on the border, let's renew it or let's cancel it?
1: I think honestly, the fact that there are enough shows that are speaking to diverse audiences, or there's a new range of voices that are happening, people are paying attention to that. Like, I wonder if to this. If uh, you remember the show Cristela, it was two seasons ago. It was like um, ABC making a big, you know, featuring Latina comedian in her own sitcom. A lot of, there was a, I actually enjoyed the first a couple of episodes. It was fun, but it didn't make the ratings, eventually got canceled. Um, I wonder if I would still get canceled this year. Like the, Like, I feel like, I feel like maybe not. I feel like it might have gotten a different chance. I think in general, like, I think that's playing a bigger factor, as well as, of course, the eternal issue of, does the studio own it?
0: Right. Yeah, that's a bigger and bigger one these days, especially when it comes to broadcast. Yeah. Uh, Liz, final question. Final so we've, question. We've gone pretty long. We've gone a uh, What are some underexplored TV genres? And this comes from at uh, Jeremy Pizig, another longtime listener. Yep. Third-time caller, something. <laughs> um, but yeah, some TV genres out there. There's There's been a lot of you know, there's a lot of crime stories, a lot of cop shows. You know, what what are some genres that you want to see more of? I mean, there's a lot of sci-fi out there, Liz, but maybe a, a certain nook of sci-fi. There's a lot of time travel right now. I know these are some of your favorites, but right. is there anything that you're just like, you know what, I could use one of these right now?
1: Um, I'd like to see more of, like, the not-too-distant-future type explorations uh, that – uh, you're get, we're getting one in a couple, in like a month or so, uh, called Incorporated, which is set in the year 2070-something, and is uh, is executive produced by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and as part of that, I think, uh, they're very tied into issues about sustainability and uh, resources and, you know, how corporate structure and how, you know, how corporate structure may end up just taking over the entire planet, and managing things so that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer in ways that feel very dystopian and also very plausible. Um, I like those kind of narratives just in terms of, like, what they do in terms of the storytelling, you know, angle. I'm also, uh, I feel like genre-wise, like, period stuff is always really interesting to me, but I feel like the best, the really cool period stuff that's really exciting right now is the stuff that's not every other genre like it would not that underexplored time periods um you are seeing that with halt and catch fire take taking on like the 1980s uh i feel like a, a good girl's revolt which is focused starts in i believe the year 1969 but uh, you know it's very focused on like it's, it's it's not it's not just period but it's also really focused on women within the, uh, jur- the industry of journalism um like when you have like this kind of really interesting razor focus on the on a period drama where it's like you're able to get really specific and interesting, I think that's cool.
0: Um, yeah, just let the eighties be, though. We can we're done with eighties for a little while.
1: Because of what?
0: Okay, I mean, halt. Stranger Things. Uh, Red Oaks even, like there's a lot of shows set in the 80s and frankly it wasn't that good of a decade, so maybe. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm just more using it as an example of No, oh,
0: like, no, I it agree with you like and, when it, and I mean at least two of those shows that I just mentioned are very well done for that period, Yeah. but let's examine a couple other decades perhaps, you know, there's, yeah. there's other stuff going on. I mean I love what Fresh Off the Boat does with the 90s where it almost doesn't necessarily overwhelm it, but right. they have such specific references to the 90s that it's, you kind of forget and then you're reminded and it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, um it's actually that's actually a really good example. Like um a pair of, uh, we uh our colleague Khan interviewed uh Nanashka Khan, the showrunner of Fresh off the Boat, and because the kids are hitting 1996 this year, um this is a you know, the main character of course Eddie is a big hip hop enthusiast. 1996 is the year we lose Tupac and Biggie, um and those are going to hit him pretty hard. Yeah. Um spoiler alert for 1996 that
0: 1996. Yeah. Um, Maybe we should have Oh God! What's one of the shows that they watch in that? They did a big Melrose Place. Oh, the Melrose Place
1: episode is amazing.
0: So maybe we want what like Heather Locklear back on TV again?
1: That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another going
0: back to an old question. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, another time, like uh, it, one of the things I really loved about Marvel's Agent Carter is that it was set in essentially like directly post World War II uh, America and that's a really interesting period of history uh you may remember it from who framed roger rabbit mm-hmm. um but you know po- politically there was a lot of interesting attention in the air um a lot of uh, interesting repercussions from america recovering from a brutal war lots of good stuff there
0: yeah yeah very good picks um but they're...
1: like depression era depression era i don't think has gotten a lot depression era 20s i feel like you could have a lot of fun in those time periods
0: When does does Piggy Blinders take place?
1: I don't know. It's Ireland, whatever.
0: We had a question about when that's coming back as well. I have no idea. I don't care.
1: (laughs) We continue to have this massive blind spot towards Piggy Blinders, which we should fix. No. I should fix. Go ahead. Okay. I'm not dragging you in.
0: (laughs) I'll I'll watch it. I'm going to go
1: look at the attractive British men.
0: Yeah, enjoy yourself and enjoy Sam Neill's terrible accent. Um, Will. I will do that. Yeah. In terms of a uh, genre, very quickly, because I've touched on this before as well, I'd still want more. This isn't really a genre. I still want more good-hearted dramas. I still want more well-intentioned dramas that are trying to, just trying to do good, do some good out there, you know. Like, and and make it's, you feel
1: good about the Heartland.
0: Well, not even the Heartland. Just uh, people in general. Like they're they're very difficult to do well. This is something that Aaron Sorkin specializes in, and you know, The West Wing definitely fits the category. The newsroom is obviously one that nobody can agree on, but I think it it's maybe the last one. I wouldn't very say the one.
1: newsroom was heartwarming.
0: I didn't say heartwarming was, I said good hearted. It's got mm. it's it's trying to do the right thing. It's always trying to be it's it's got the right intentions, it's striving for greatness, it's trying to do something positive and you're supposed to come out of each episode feeling good or feeling optimistic or believing that something or believing in yourself. Maybe it's motivational in a way. Honestly, I think Rhodey's tried to do that a little bit, and that was not a good show, but it was a show that tried to do the right things, and it's one of those things as a critic, you just don't see it very often. We're coming off of an era in which there were so many antiheroes, so many shows about bad people doing bad things, and there's still a lot of those shows out there, and if you watch too many of them, it's going to overwhelm you a little bit, and I need a bit of a respite, and you can't just have it in comedy. It can't just be... That everything serious has to be gravely serious, and everything comedic has to just be silly and fun. There's a middle ground there, but you also don't want to watch just comedies about bad people either. Like every, a lot of the great comedies focus on, you know, bad people. You're the worst. Transparent. Uh, God, just a casual even. Like th- there's a lot out there that are you know so-called dramedies that that aren't necessarily trying to be uplifting. And they, I'm not saying they should be. I'm saying we need shows that are. And there's not a lot of examples of them.
1: Fair enough. I I, I, I would in be in intrigued by what kind of shows came out of somebody, some showrunner listening to you just then and, you know, coming up with his pitch. That's
0: why we need Richard Curtis. Mm. Um, all right, Liz. That's our AMA. Thanks, everyone, for writing in. Thanks for the questions. Hope this was somewhat entertaining, educational, purposeful. Yeah. Whatever. Always um,
1: keep your questions coming.
0: Yeah, throw them in. You yeah. can email Liz at Lizlet at IndieWire. You can reach a Liz her at IndieWire, not Lizlet. Nah, let's try Lizlet. No. We should, have a, we should expand. Nah. We should use our Twitter handles as our emails and no. just double up.
1: No, I think that's a bad idea. All right. It's more fine. letters. It's more letters. Have it your way. Ben at Bennett, will also find Ben.
0: Yeah, I'm there. Um, feel free to write me. Oh, God. I got a good email I need to respond to. Um, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week?
1: Oh you're going to yell at me.
0: Jesus Christ. It's Gilmore Girls, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus Christ.
1: It's not the best. I mean, honestly, the big thing is that I'm so I'm I'm, I'm in the middle of a Gilmore Girls binge, mostly because I was if you can't tell by my sultry voice <coughs> <coughs> on cue. I'm getting over a cold. Um and this week this last weekend I spent mostly on the couch watching Watching television the way God intended, and uh, *Gilmore Girls* got me through a good portion of the weekend, and it was it. Basically, I've always been I've always meant to catch up on the show. I've always meant to give it a real try, and now I'm in I'm in pretty deep. I'm in the beginning the beginning of season three, and I'm very intrigued. Um, if only just because I'm it's exciting to catch up on a show that I have a lot of friends who dearly love. I certainly, have listened to n- numerous conversations about the show over the years, and so now I'm getting to find out what all the fuss is about, and I'm enjoying it. So I'm not saying I'm, my 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 official verdict on what I think about the show is still pending. I know if people don't necessarily like the dialogue style. I'm enjoying it. I feel like that style. I I, I enjoy quirky dialogue styles just as a connoisseur of television. So if you you know, I, though I I know Ben, you feel, find it overwritten.
0: Yeah, it's well. I- it's undeniably overwritten. It's just whether you, if you find that appealing and I, I can understand how it can be appealing. It's, it's a lot to me like early Sorkin where, you know, on sports night, there's just so much going on and, and that's agonizing for me to sit through it just like this is. But, um,
1: I love early Sorkin. Yeah, I
0: know you do. Yeah. It's, Oh God, it's so, it's so overwritten anyway. Um, didn't you ask me what was the question you asked me when you were near? I want to say you were in season two.
1: I think I'm just I mean, I'm in general right now just kind of baffled by the fact that like why why doesn't everyone acknowledge that Jess is a quasi sociopath? Yeah. Um. Do I have to kind of acknowledge the fact that you know I I'm both of the most of the teenage boys on the show seem pretty useless, but at the same time like I'm like they're not being r- written as like romantic heroes or. I feel like this is maybe pretty close to what I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with teenage boys. Um it's from beyond my own adolescence and maybe this is how teenage boys are. I don't know. I d- I doubt it.
0: Teenage boys are terrible, so.
1: Yeah. Um so I don't know. It's an interesting it's it's been an interesting experience on a cultural level beyond anything else. So I'm not saying I'm like the show is the best show I've ever seen in my life but I'm saying it's the best it was it's been the best experience I've had watching last week.
0: Yeah, there was just I can't I can't remember the question. It was so much it was so perfectly phrased as someone who's watching Gilmore Girls but you said something to the effect of like why doesn't everybody hate this person or, or Oh yeah. and someone asked you I think even like when you said you were binging it like uh, who on the show do you hate right now or something like that or how do you feel about X Y and Z? And it was one of those moments where it's like, just wait till the end. Just wait till the end to see the list of things that are, to I think it was probably like
1: Jess-related, because I'm pretty sure. You. I'm pretty sure. It's like, doesn't everyone recognize that Jess is a sociopath?
0: That's a good question.
1: Um, He, he, he broke that snowman. <laughs> That's someone's so hard work, and he destroyed it for Rory. And she's just like, la-di-da. He destroyed that snowman for me. I guess he likes me. And he's also a sociopath.
0: Well, she doesn't recognize that, but sure. <sighs> Rory is also a confounding character.
1: But. Yes. Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week?
0: Uh, the best thing I watched last week unequivoc- unequivocally, uh, without any sort of apology or remorse, was Rectify. And that's something I have always loved. I feel the like no show. one's
1: going to shame you for loving Rectify.
0: No one can. That is an, That is a show among the infallible. I, I don't think there's any way to really come at that one from a negative standpoint. Um, it's just it's just great Telvet. and i rewatched the season 3 finale to get ready for the final fourth season which is starting on wednesday when if you're listening to it, listening to this when it comes out um, sundance tv obviously but it's just so good it's just such a good show like you just sink into it you, you, the characters are beautifully written and and just so slowly developed but perfectly so you just, it, it's just a I can't even describe it. It's one of those things I have very hard time talking about it, obviously writing about it, because there's so much to admire from a technical level, there's so much to admire from just living in it, that it's hard to kinda of take a step back and say things <laughs> about the show. Uh but yeah, no, I I love it. I've only seen like the first fifteen or twenty minutes of the of season four as of now, but I know I'm gonna love it. It's just so good. Cool. God bless you, Ray McKinnon.
1: Aw. Yay.
0: <laughs> That's all I got. Liz, next thing.
1: Okay. This, you're not going to be pleased with either of these. God,
0: Liz. What do you mean, either?
1: I've got two. Do you
0: have two? Well,
1: I've got two, you're but... such a cheater. Well, it's here's the thing. Um, so as we record... We're recording this actually a little earlier than we usually do, because I'm about to... I'm, I'm close to getting on a plane to uh, head to the Great White North of Canada, uh, where I'm attending a set visit for the upcoming FX show Legion. And... Um, I would, I'm, so I'm going to be getting a big sneak peek at what's coming this February to FX, um, finding out what, however Noah Hawley has, whatever Noah Hawley has done to the Marvel universe to make it fit his delightfully unique perspective on television. And uh, so I may be getting more than uh, maybe getting a look at the pilot. I may be getting uh, a, just a look at some new footage. I may be getting to hear the Cast spoil, everything that happens in the first season. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and when she says she may be doing these things, she's not being aloof or modest or falsely modest. She literally doesn't know. Like yes. It's, it's, the, the it's beauty been of said like, it could happen, might not happen. We don't know. Set visits are up in the air.
1: Set visits are extraordinarily unpredictable. They may be like an incredibly tightly packed. Uh, you you did one recently where it's just like you got like a ton of people, all in one day.
0: I've been very lucky on my SID visits, for the most part. Yeah, they've been incredibly efficient. But I've also had the ones where I go and literally nothing happens for four hours. Yes,
1: so. yeah, I, I I may have once gone spent four you know four to six hours in a field in Canada, um, waiting for one interview.
0: Yeah, but you got it eventually. <laughs> Eventually. I've i had the set visits where nothing has oh, happened. Oh, that's a sad one, yeah. yeah.
1: But anyway, so that's exciting for me and I'm I feel like I feel like Legion is gonna be one that you're all gonna be very intrigued by in the run up to just because whatever is happening there, it looks bizarre as hell.
0: Is that your next thing? A February show? Yes. Okay. But
1: but that's why I'm coupling it. That's why I paired it. That's why I had a second thing. Because whenever I do whenever I have something that's just like way far out in the whatever, I wanna make sure that I pair it with something that's a little more attainable. Um, I'm actually, I'm basically planning at some point soon to watch, uh, this week's episode, the la- last week's episode, episode six of American Horror Story. I've been, cause okay. I am the editor of the reviews that we've been <laughs> running weekly from our freelancer. Nope. And last week's episode apparently was actually really good or at least
0: good. It's twisty.
1: It's twisty. It sounds like it's doing a lot of bizarre, wacky things, and I kind of want to check it out. It sounds like there's. It sounds like if you put up with if put up if you were enjoying the show or you know, at least keeping up with the show for through the first five episodes, episode six really w- rewarded the viewers, and at the very least, watching it as a standalone will be an interesting experience, and hopefully not too scary. I don't like scares.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've only seen the first two, and I, it's much better than what I saw from the previous season. Hotel was atrocious. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too upset with that pick, but I am going to shame you a little bit, Liz. Okay. Because there's something else that you should be looking forward to more than anything. Okay. And that is the premiere of The Fall with Gillian Anderson. That's Boom!
1: You know, I'm t- you know how I feel about The Fall.
0: I yeah, I know, but you should still be anticipating that above An- Julian Anderson, new. I TV. love I love
1: no, I, I I love I love her in the fall. I think that show's great. Yeah. I just can't stand most boring human on the planet, Jamie Doran.
0: Doesn't matter. It's still I mean you still know within your heart of hearts that you will much. You'll enjoy even fleeting moments of Julian Anderson that oh, you've no. never seen before. Oh, God, more than you'll enjoy whatever the fuck is happening on American Horror Story.
1: Yeah, that's true. So um, that's my have pick. we gotten screeners? Fall,
0: on th- the fall. fall. That's a good fall. one. That's a good pick. Uh, yeah. Uh, Saturday, right? Next Saturday or yeah. this this Saturday for when you're listening to this. Okay. Uh, is the premiere fall Pre- season?
1: Well, we should try to we <laughs> should try to work out the screener situation. Oh no, right? I'm on it. Don't worry. Okay. Good.
0: Yeah. Good job, Benjamin. Bugging some people. Yeah, you are knocking some doors down. Yeah. Give me my Jillian.
1: <laughs> you should definitely phrase it like that. What if that. he's dead?
0: What if the boring guys did?
1: Then it becomes the best show on television. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I, I'm very clear about my complaints about the show.
0: Is the fall the most aggressively feminist television program on right now? successfully feminist. Perhaps.
1: I would say that Stella Gibson is the most aggressively feminist character on television. True. I think I think I would go with that.
0: Yeah. I haven't I haven't dwelled on this very long. So you may write in with a bunch of other examples that contradict it. But I yeah. it's it's hard to imagine somebody a better character right now than Stella Gibson. She is so watchable, so fascinating, so awesome. Yes. Hero to us all. Yes.
1: And you're going to be able to look at the crazy, insane fan art that Ben puts together to celebrate Jillian Anderson and the fall on IndieWire.com, where you will also find reviews and interviews and features and so forth connected some, less, to lesser degrees to the fall.
0: Yeah, if I had any artistic talent, I would consider reviewing the fall with just images, like just like personally crafted images that were uploaded. Because, I mean... Another one, it's tough to put together proper words. There's a lot to talk about, so it's a little bit easy to discuss that way. But in terms of adulation for it and the success that it has, it is a bit tricky. Um, Perhaps you'll hear us talk about it on this podcast in coming weeks. And if you need something in the meantime, IndieWire has a wonderful network of podcasts right now. I can't even list all of them, but make sure you listen to Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn on Screen Talk. And make sure you listen to Turn It On with Michael Schneider. I remembered it. I almost called This Is It, I think is what I said, or was (laughs) thinking in my head. No, turn it on with our wonderful executive editor Michael Schneider. Uh, Liz, I believe, is reading an essay this week on Snoop Dogg.
1: Yes, I, 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 uh, a, a condensed version of my 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 day at Snoop Dogg's house. Uh, r- runs and runs in the this this week's podcast.
0: And you can hear me talk about the TV show Chance with Hugh Laurie and sound like a freaking idiot because I I did not I was not. Uh, wasn't you didn't a,
1: have I'm, your head in the game. I didn't, have, I didn't have my head in the game. It
0: happens. Um, so, yeah, those are just two great examples. There's a bunch more out there, actually, now for IndieWire. So make sure you subscribe to all of the IndieWire podcasts, which can be found through IndieWire.com, Or Stitcher,
1: or SoundCloud, or iTunes, lots yeah. of, lots you of things. You can find them anywhere. Yeah. So uh, you can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers.
0: And you can find Liz on Twitter at lizlet That's with an I and an E.
1: Correct. We will be back next week. And you guys, in the meantime... Keep watching television.